Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sunday Special. This is episode 26 of our Sunday series. My name is James Fisher. This is the JRPG Report. Thank you so much for tuning in. We've got a fun little show for you guys today, and I believe it's the perfect thing to fire up a great JRPG, maybe do some level grinding, uh, go uh, try to seek out some treasure chests, whatever you need to do. You can do it while you're listening to these. I've got five different articles um, for four games, and they are kind of telling some of the processes behind some of our recent games and even an upcoming game as well. Uh, So I invite you to listen in, and we'll see where this story takes us. We're going to start first with, and we've had a couple of these uh, here recently, but this is going to be uh, the first in a series of digging deep into the world of Final Fantasy VII Remake. This is from our friends over at the Final Fantasy Portal site. If you recall, they also did the interviews for the 20th anniversary of Final Fantasy IX. And hopefully you can't hear that. I know I can. The... uh, Pretty much as soon as I hit the record button, the neighbor decided that it was the perfect time to mow the yard. So that's going to be in the background. Yay. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, this is the first part of it. Part two, they say, will be published on August the 12th. And I may have that for you at a later date and time. This is going to be with co-director and scenario writer Motomu Toriyama. First question that they ask is, we were surprised to hear the main theme of Final Fantasy VII playing in the Sector VII slums. Was there a reason for that song choice? And here's his answer. In the Final Fantasy VII Remake, you can return to the Sector VII Undercity many times, and we intended for it to serve as your central hub over the course of the story. So we wanted to feel like it was home, a cozy place where you could come back to. To that end, we chose to use the main theme, which played on the world map in the original game, there. FF7 Remake takes place solely in Midgar, but we didn't limit its soundtrack to songs originally only heard in the city. Instead, we utilized tracks from throughout the original that fit certain scenes or areas of the game. Next question. What were the drinks that Tifa made at 7th Heaven? His answer, first was the popular 7th Heaven. A drink that packs a serious punch and gives you the courage to keep going. Her second creation was a Cosmo Canyon, a burgundy-colored cocktail inspired by the location of the same name. Hopefully we'll get to visit that one in part two. Uh, There are also uh, menus on the drink of the seventh heaven, such as the Livestream, which possesses a green hue. Tifa's showmanship with the shaker comes from her natural dexterity and her keen observation that the regulars are more generous tippers when she puts some flair into her bartending. Next question. There are several new characters in Final Fantasy VII Remake who did not appear in the original, including the mysterious young man, Chadley. Could you tell us a little about his past? And his answer? You could learn about Chadley's uh, origins by clearing his battle reports. While some of the quests pose a serious challenge, you'll need to complete them to discover his past. (laughs) Next question. Why are there so many cats in the Seven Sector Slums? Is there a cat lover on the development team? His answer. Sector 7's excessive number of cats can be attributed to Witch. He loves the furry critters so much, he can't help but bring any strays he finds back home with him. As for cat lovers on the development team, co-director Hamaguchi 
game design slash programming, is one. So he had his cat rendered in-game. Personally, I wanted to make sure dog people weren't left out, so we decided to even things out by increasing Midgar's canine population. That's why Marl, the landlord of the Stargazer Heights, can be seen with her loyal companion. And the next question, cat, Wedge's cats seem a little on the large side. Could that be a case of the pets resembling their owners? <laughs> His answers, cats, Wedge's cats eat just as much and as often as he does. So any animal in his care is going to grow very quickly. Next question. Cloud's mother and Tifa's father weren't given names in the original Final Fantasy VII, but how about in Remake? His answer, they both had names in the original character design documents, so we decided to use them in Remake. Now, Cloud's mother is officially called Claudia, and Tifa's father is Brian. Tifa's dad, however, has no dialogue in Remake, so during development, we referred to him as Dead Body? That's just terrible. <laughs> There's not much plant life under the plates of Megar, but so many flowers bloom around Eris' house. Is there a reason for that? His answer. The large river running through the outskirts of Sector 5's undercity brings fresh water, rich with nutrients from the planet's live stream, to both Eris' house and the dilapidated church. This is the same water Aerith uses to lovingly tend to her flowers. Also, the fact that Aerith is an ancient could be another reason... For the vibrant vegetation. Now, that's what I always figured it was. But water helps, of course. Next question. When trying to sneak out of Air's house at night, did the number of obstacles decrease with each failed attempt, or is it just our imagination? His answer. Despite being mad at Cloud, Aerith cleans up the mess bit by bit to make things easier for him to sneak out. To give you some behind-the-scenes info, we wanted to spook the players a bit when Aerith scolds Cloud, which is why she sounds so scary when scolding him. Aerith is waiting for Cloud after he leaves anyway, so maybe she's just playing with him. Kind of terrifying when you think about it like that. I <laughs> I remember always hating that part in the original. I think I only felt it once in Remake, and I, I knew I would. It was just inevitable. Uh, despite being a child, the items that Moogie sells are impressive. Where does he get them from? Here's the answer. There are plenty of passionate Moogle metal collectors out there, even among adults. And it's through them that Moogie is able to trade for the rare items he offers Cloud. Moogie is one example of how kids living in Sector 5 Undercity are tough and resourceful. Next question. Isn't Rude unusually nice to women? He keeps putting them to, to sleep in battle. His answer. In the original game, Rude wouldn't attack Tifa, so he decided that he wouldn't actively attack women in Remake. Of course, battles wouldn't really work if he didn't attack female characters at all, so we made him less aggressive, just putting them to sleep. Next question. How is the guardian angel of the slums character created, or how was? His answer. The character, Mariel, originally appeared in a novel portraying events around Final Fantasy VII's meter fall, yet this was called Final Fantasy Y Seven. The Kids Are All Right, a Turk's side story, and we decided to include her in Remake. After some deliberation over how she would have spent her time in Midgar, we came up with the idea of her being a Robin Hood-style thief for the people of the slums. And uh, next question. Kyrie and Leslie are also part of that novel. What reasons were there for including them in Remake as well? Did you provide them with more backstory? 
Because Kyrie and Leslie were both part of that story, we decided to include them in the game as Undercity residents. From the very beginning of development, we wanted Remake to feature characters from the larger Final Fantasy VII universe. Characters who were not part of the original. So we came up with the past of these characters that would fit in the stories of the novel. Leslie, in particular, got a lot of screen time since he was one of Don Conorio's lackeys involving him in the main story. Last question. Even the background characters out and about in the city have a lot of personality. Do you have a favorite? His answer. A great deal of NPC characters and dialogue from the original game, a lot of which I worked on, were repurposed in Remake. That's always fun to see. Of the NPCs, the lovey-dovey couple at the Sector 7 slum strain is my favorite. So yeah, we'll look forward to part two of this one. I believe, what was that? They said, yeah, on August the 12th. So either I'll make it a part of our next regular podcast, um, depending on how much we have to talk about, <laughs> or uh, our next Sunday special. Well, that was pretty cool diving into Remake. Um, I have a feeling that this, this series is not the last of things we'll talk about. And uh, as we lead into hopefully some news about part two at some point soon. Let's stay in the Final Fantasy VII universe and we'll go to an article over on Sokonera. And this is by Jenny Lada. And she interviewed, um, oh gosh, what is the man's name? This is Ryoma. Arika, and he is the games director for the remake of Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles. And here is her first question. He asked, how did you get into game development? What has been your experience been with Final Fantasy and the Crystal Chronicles series as a whole? And he answered, I started as a CG designer, but I was also interested in content creation and decided to join the game industry. Since then, it's been about 20 years or so. For the Final Fantasy series, I took part in the development of Final Fantasy XII. For the Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles series, I'm taking part in the series for the first time with this remaster. Next question. How did you get from a version of the game controlled by the Game Boy Advances to a build we have in the remastered edition? What needed to be redesigned? He answered, The fundamental experience that can be obtained through the game has not changed from the original, but in remastering the game for the current era, we worked to support online features and consolidated information, among other things, to reorganize and rebuild the user interface and system-related aspects. The title is a remaster, but in actuality, there are many ways that have been reworked and added, so much that it wouldn't be called an exaggeration to say more than half the game has been remade. Next question. One of the Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles Remastered Edition features is Mimic, which lets you become other characters. How did the idea of this feature come about? Was it complicated to implement? Actually, this it isn't something that came to mind specifically for this title. The yeah, I had been uh, gestated for some time as a system that can be enjoyed as a bonus feature without breaking the game's universe. And it also happens to be uh, we decided to implement it in this game. The work required to implement the system did not end up being quite did end up being quite complicated, as it wasn't something that existed in the original game. So that's definitely something from Final Fantasy VI. Uh, go, uh, go, go, Goro. I can't remember his exact name. The, the one of the bonus characters, his ability was to mimic the other players, which made him actually uh, quite beastly at times. 
Uh, next question. Which person or people do you like mimicking the most? His answer. Personally, I think Amadati and Tristan are my favorites. However, all characters are extremely unique, so I definitely want you to play them all. Next question. How difficult was it to create and implement the, the new male and female character designs and keep them consistent with the original ones? Were there any unexpected challenges making things work? His answer. I think many people have fond memories of the original character designs, so rather than try to emulate those original designs exactly, we requested that new character designs to have a smidge of playfulness. We didn't want any detailed requests and completely entrust a designer with this task, but I feel our intentions were well captured in the resulting designs. The game uses both songs from the original game and new tracks. That was the next question. The game's soundtrack is highly regarded, even beyond fans of the game beyond fans of the game itself. How did you determine where the new songs should fit? His answers. Kumi Tenonoka's music for this title is focused around period instruments. It creates a unique atmosphere unlike others, and I personally like it very much. And had in adding high difficulty dungeons, we made the request to add new songs as well. That said, the original tracks aren't limited to the high difficulty dungeons, so I would love for everyone to keep their ears open and discover them while playing the game. Next question. FF Crystal Chronicles Remastered Edition is the first Square Enix game to have cross-play across multiple console and mobile platforms. What did the team learn from this experience, and how could these lessons affect future games? His answer. We learned that development comes becomes quite the task when dealing with so many platforms. He laughs. I believe it's quite difficult to deliver cross-play across multiple platforms at launch, but I think Square Enix is a company that should take on such challenges. In the future, I hope this will become a standard, not only for our company titles, but for the industry as a whole. Next question. There were multiple delays along the way while getting the game ready for players. What's the situation like when it comes to a title needing more time at Square Enix? How does the team respond? What's the response did you see from potential players? His answers. I was reprimanded by a lot of important people, he says. That said, reintroducing this title to the world while maintaining a solid quality is what's important. The team continued to do their best with the impression that the necessary time to reach our goal had been secured. We did feel regretful towards players who had been waiting for the game's release, but all in all, we feel that they have that they kindly waited for the game with warm and encouraging words. We have nothing but gratitude towards those who have looked forward to this game for so long. Next question. How difficult was it to create and prepare the light version alongside the full game? His answer. The light version allows you to play many elements from the full game, so the full game needed to, more or less, take shape before creating the light version. The timing in which we branched off the development team data was quite late and overlapped with the height of production for the full game. So looking back, simultaneously working on the light version was a challenge for our development team. Next question. Balancing could be an issue in the game where ideally you have a group full of people helping you out and each playing their part. It was particularly an issue with the original release, often leaving players stuck at too high difficulty with friends joined in left and right. How did you handle the balance for this remaster? In this game, players can join partway, so even a party member leaves, you can matchmake with a new member in the midst of the game, meaning there will be fewer instances where you'll be stranded in high-difficulty maps. 
Whether or not a new caravan comes along depends on your luck, so it may be one of the true pleasures of this journey to advance through the dungeons while hoping you'll be lucky enough to encounter a caravan. And here's the last question. This original Crystal Chronicles entry led to multiple spin-offs like Rings of Fate, Echoes of Time, and the Crystal Bears. Now that the remaster has been introduced to the world and a whole new audience, is there any sort of dream game you'd like to release next? Through this game, I wish for more people to get to know the world of Crystal Chronicles. It would be it would really make me happy to see the love of this series spread among players. As far as my dream game goes, I'd love to take some time to think about this after the game releases, while situating myself in a place with a nice climate <laughs> somewhere perhaps along the west coast. So yeah, the dude has earned a break. Of course, uh, this game is coming out on, on Switch, PlayStation 4, and Android and Apple devices worldwide on August the 27th. I'll be looking forward to playing that one. I never got a chance to play the original one. There were some technical limitations in order to play that. So, especially that light version. I think that's pretty cool that they've done that to try to get people in and experience it without having to put down some cash. So we'll take a quick break and we'll be back with the second half of our interviews here on the JRPG Report Sunday Special Episode 26. All right, everybody, welcome back. Of course, we want to thank Anchor for being the host of this podcast and pushing it out to all your ears each and every week free of charge. They are awesome. So our next, we've got, I've got two different interviews uh, from fairy tale producer Kisuke Kinkuchi. Uh, one was by Gimetsu and the other one by Salconera. And so I'm going to read the Gamensu one first and then I'll go to the other one. So if I get about halfway through a question and realize that's one that's already been <laughs> answered, I'll just uh, skip ahead. So you have to bear with me on that one. Uh, here is the first question. What went into the decision of making the fairytale game a turn-based RPG rather than the different genres such as an action RPG? His answer. Of course, he's a producer for Fairy Tale, by the way. This allowed the game to be accessible to any player, giving anyone the ability to utilize their favorite character to unleash satisfying magic attacks, such as the magic chain abilities and legendary magic attacks. I think this system also allowed the game to be more easily to more easily display the characters working together with their party members. Next question. When playing the game, what features and elements do you did you decide it needed to have to make the game uniquely fairy tale? His answer. A few of the elements might include uh, being able to fight your guild members one-on-one using the dual system and the ability to use extreme magic, such as the magic chain abilities and fairy law, causing the background objects to get destroyed using the over-damage system. I think these are a few of the most fairy tale-like systems we have implemented in the game. Next question. Considering the game starts from the Tenru Island arc, are you doing anything to help accustom newcomers to the series, characters, and setting? Why start from there? His answer. The team and I looked at the fairy tale stories as a whole and chose and, <laughs> and chose the Grand Magic Games arc as many of the main characters appear in full force during this part of the story. In addition, Natsu returning after seven years to revitalize the guild also worked well as an element of the game. Magnolia also contains Lucy's house, uh, 
where players can view a short summary of the fairy tale story. Next question. There are 16 playable characters. What went into deciding which characters would be playable? Are there any characters you couldn't include that you wish you were being able to? His answer. We put a lot of thought into who was going to be included in the base game. The team and I focused on adding playable characters not only from the Fairy Tale Guild, but the other guilds as well. We are preparing additional playable characters as DLC to explain the roster past 16 that are in the base game. And in fact, those are now available and coming out uh, very soon as well. Next question. Are there any plans for post-launch DLC? Yes, we, we actually already covered that the uh, <laughs> the other day in the podcast. And, of course, they're working on new characters, missions, and the photo mode. And I believe those are all out now. Next question. How long does it take to clear the game? Can we expect any sort of post-game elements that will keep users playing even after completion? His answer. It will take roughly 20 to 30 hours to complete the main story. And there is content that players can tackle after that as well. For example, there are high-level S-rank quests, and a very strong character that did not join Natsu's party in the original manga or anime. We really hope that players will have fun with all this in-game content. So as I'm reading that, obviously the thing that points out to me, 20 to 30 hours is not very long. By JRPG standards, it's much more akin to what you might expect out of an average uh, action-adventure game perhaps so it's a little on the short side to say the least next question the english version will feature will only feature japanese voiceovers but are there any plans or considerations to release an english dub in the future bandai namco for example recently released an english dub for my heroes justice 2 as a free update after several months after the game's release and uh, unfortunately his answer is there's no current plans to release an english dub We'll take this into consideration in future reference. Other titles have done this in the past. I'm not surprised at all since this is Gust, and that's what they did with Ryza as well. Uh, next question. Are there any notable differences between the Japanese and English releases, or between the PlayStation 4, Switch, and PC versions? He says no. There are no regional or platform differences for this title. After Fairy Tale, are there any? is there any chance Gust to work on another manga or licensed property in the future? His answer. While I would love to make Fairy Tale into a series of games, I have loved manga and anime since I was a child. So I would like to see I would like to make some game versions of different series if I had the chance. And here's the last question. Can we expect other major shifts from what fans would normally expect from Gust in the future? For example, no one expected Gust to be working on a licensed property. Could we see other surprises, such as Gust tackling previously untouched genres down the road? His answer, just like the action RPG, Knights of Azure, Gust is always taking on new challenges. I hope you look forward to our future titles. So that was pretty cool. Of course, the game is out now. And let's see if we can't... um, Yeah, I'm sure there's a few more here. Yeah, okay. So, next question. Uh, This is by Lucas White of the Conria. He says, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like Gust hasn't been involved in many IP-based games, much less shown in anime like Fairy Tale. How did this project come to be a Gust project? His answer, I felt that Fairy Tale as a series would work perfectly as a fantasy RPG. The world being so full of fantasy, the iconic magic-wielding characters, the intense battles, and the bonds between the characters all fit well within this genre. 
Gus love of the fairy tale series and um, Machima Sensei's and Konoshanda's desire to expand the franchise were all in alignment for this project. So this lead this led our team to undertake the development of this title. Next question: Can you talk about your role as a producer and what your day to day work is like? He says, as a producer, I don't have a set daily work routine. Instead, work on anything and everything in order to keep the development, in order to develop and market this title. My role consists of a number of tasks, including establishing the overall direction of the title and planning the concept, meeting with Mashima Sensei, managing the budget and progress of the game, and working with the promotion team in order to bring the fans a title that the rest, that is the result of the entire team's hard work. Um, yeah, that, that one is one we've already asked. Uh, is there anything in the game that might come off as strange or unexpected to fairy tale fans? His answer: We we were designing the game so that it falls in line with the expectations of fairy tale fans, but we were including story element combinations and brand new unison raids that did not appear in the original manga or anime. Fairy tale came to an end in 2017. Adaptation projects made while a manga is still running are the norm. Did Gust RPG start development before the story was over? If so, did that impact creative choices? His answer. The concept and plan were being worked on before that. After the series finished, our team was able to view the story in its entirety. I think that as a result of this, we were able to decide what parts we wanted to focus on. Next question. Can you tell us about some of the key creative goals the team established to adapt so many volumes of manga into one game? He says, as Fairy Tale is a very voluminous work, we really put a lot of time into deciding what part of the story we were going to focus on. We ended up choosing the Grand Magic Games arc as a focus due to three major points. Many of the main characters appear in the story. Natsuna's group attempt to build the Gale back to its former glory, and there was a good balance of serious and humorous parts of the story. Uh, can you tell us about any of the major problems that came up during development? and what the team did to kind of overcome them. He said, many problems came up during the development process and we were working on, on several other projects as well. One example revolves around the sheer number of characters and magic, <laughs> characters and magic in fairy tale. I realized that trying to differentiate each character and magic ability by their power or an elemental attribute would not be sufficient. Through trial and error, we eventually arrived at the realization that we could greatly improve on this aspect of the game by using the different enemy formations and the effective range of magic abilities in order to differentiate the characters and magic. They ask, what is, was this a fun project compared to Gus's usual work, or was it intimidating or scary? He says, it was both. We are very happy that we were able to recreate a lot of our favorite content into the game, and we are really pleased that the finished product would allow us a ro- would allow a wide range of fans to enjoy the title. Fairy Tale has a large number of characters and episodes, so we put a lot of time and effort in deciding which aspects to put in the game and which characters to include. This process was both stressful and fun. And here's the last question: Is there a feature or creative decision the team is particularly proud of, which you hope the fans and critics respond well to? His answer, we are really happy that we implement many different characters to allow players to create their own original party consisting of their favorite characters. 
I hope the fans will enjoy the world of fairy tale, the group of characters that, that differ from the original manga, and them each in uh, their own unique adventure. So that's pretty cool. Got a little bit of look into the entire process of there. And there was only really one or two questions that were asked twice, and I chose to keep those out. So we've got one last interview to cover. So this interview is with um, Kazuyuki Yama, and he is uh, the director for Shimagami Tetsei 3 Nocturne HD Remaster. This is kind of just a uh, just a few little tidbits about it. It's not really very long. In fact, it's just um, it's actually very short. <laughs> so here are some of the things that he wanted to talk about. He said, when the original game released, it was a big change for Semigomai Tetsei 2 in terms of content and settings. However, after seeing it get absolutely trashed with harsh criticism on a certain popular image board at the time, the staff was collectively very shocked. He's also said, a short time later, we began seeing more positive reviews from those who were able to play, to take their time and play. After the release of Shimigami Tensei 3, not turn maniacs, people started praising it as a god-tier game. It was really something, he laughs. He says, we were also subtly improving the visuals, but just enough to not get noticed. He says, when it comes to remastering games, more than anything, we focus on the respect of the original work. In any case, we strongly felt that we shouldn't do anything unnecessary. He says, thanks to character voicing, the lines will leave more of an impression and the drama feel more amplified than expected. The scenario hasn't been touched one bit. You can also turn off the voice acting if you choose. Here's the last thing that he says. He says, the merciful difficulty was truly a merciful setting that allows you to button mash your way even around tough enemies. We will offer this as a free DLC. That's always cool. Like I've said this before, I've got no problem with many different difficulty levels. Um, I believe in making games as accessible to all people regardless of skill anyone and anyone should be able to play games no matter no matter what they are and that's as i've gotten older i found myself playing more casually and <laughs> not wanting necessarily to be extremely challenged in some games um i'll Case in point, I just actually got through, and I wasn't planning on talking about this today, but as I just wrapped it up last night, it's kind of hard not to. It's very fresh on my mind. I've been playing through The Legend of Heroes, Trails in the Sky, the first chapter. An outstanding game. And there is a certain boss fight in it that uh, you are able to... You can you can win. Uh, it is, is possible. Um... It's an achievement if you do it. And as with all fights in the game, it, I really like this uh, ability too in the Legend of Heroes series. If you lose, you don't go back. To, you can choose to go back to a save point, but you can also retry. And so after fighting uh, this certain boss for, I don't know, about 30 minutes or so and really getting nowhere, uh, he is 
crazy amounts of abilities to not only wipe your party out, but also heal himself pretty much completely. Um, I was pretty much at <laughs> at moment one and wasn't really going anywhere. Decided that a different strategy could be implemented, so I went ahead and let him wipe me out, uh, which preceded the game. There was not it was not a mandatory win, and uh, but obviously I had saved right before that. I could have went back and retried it. Uh, I'm not at that point. Um, I didn't feel the need to do that. I think it would have taken everything I had and a super long time to do it uh, to defeat this certain boss. And as I later found out, it really had no impact on anything other than a a Steam achievement, which I could care less about. Uh, (laughs) But speaking to the game, my opinion has changed a little bit that I feel like if you have the ability and the time to play Trails in the Sky first, you should certainly do that. I believe it will give you a greater uh, appreciation of the entire world, some of the characters involved. I absolutely recommend you play it before picking up Cold Steel 4, if possible, as these characters are going to be reintroduced to the series. Um, I kind of, you know, they show up in Part 3 from the Crossbell games, and it would have been more advantageous, to, I guess, in part two as well, um, to know these characters and appreciate them in order to just be like, hey, <laughs> this means so much. But those games are a little more difficult. Uh, as of this moment, you, you had to go through a, a couple hoops you had to jump through in order to play the crossbell once. But also, I think I would have appreciated Cold Steel's uh, battle mechanics much more if I would have played. Uh, Trails in the Sky first, as there is an evolution in this series from one to that, and it is a little hard to go back to. It is one of its... Uh, it's still fantastic. It's just not as good as Cold Steel, as it shouldn't be. The series should evolve and be better. Um, in terms of story, uh, at least this one is better than Cold Steel 1. I'll, I'll say that. I, I if It's very, very close, and Cold... No, Cold Steel 2 and 3 are super high up there for me. So it's going to remain to see if second chapter um, holds up to it. And if I have time to get into the third one, I certainly plan on it. But, you know, October 27th is going to be here before we know it. And hopefully I will have my collector's edition of Cold Steel 4 in hand. And no matter what, no matter, unless I'm on the final, final thing. I'm dropping <laughs> everything to play that in the moment that I get it. But I would certainly recommend going, if you uh, if you have a PC capable of anything, go and get uh, Trails in the Sky and experience that series. It is, it is a fun, fun ride. And I think I clocked in about 50, just over 50 hours to complete it. I've heard, you know, it could even be shorter or closer to 40 if you kind of run through things, but there is a need to need to get to a certain point in order to play it. it is it's a lot of fun. The story is just phenomenal. You really fall in love with that world and those characters, and uh, taking the aspects of Cold Steel and really embracing that the bracer ideals. It does. It's a whole different feeling to it, as you know, especially with Cold Steel One. It has that school setting 
that is your base where is in trails in the sky you are a bracer and doing various deeds for people and unlocking a huge huge story that's it for today's sunday special um we're going to wrap things up here we'll be back on wednesday with our normal podcast so look forward to that not really sure what we're doing for next sunday we'll have to wait and see uh what that goes my name is james fisher thank you so much for tuning in each and every week for not only the Sunday specials, but for our weekly podcasts as well. Don't forget, until next time, get back out there and level up.